Welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host this week, Liz Flora, and today I'm joined by Tisha Thompson, the founder and CEO of makeup brand LYS Beauty. Hi, Tisha. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Where are you speaking to us right now from? I am in Atlanta, Georgia. Amazing. So Tisha, before LYS launched in 2019, you had a long career in the beauty industry that started with makeup artistry. So I wanted to ask to start, what first drew you to makeup? You know, it's very interesting. I grew up um, as a military child, so we traveled a lot, and I always had to make new friends. And I always struggled a little bit because I was a, a bit of a tomboy, a daddy's girl, and, you know, always, you know, just was more on the tougher side and sports and all that fun stuff. And I never, um, you know, really felt girly sometimes. And I was um, always kind of been on the plusser side. Um, And so I just never felt like I fit in. And I just always, you know, had a tough time meeting new friends. And so when I had, you know, just self, you know, esteem issues and confidence issues, just traveling every two to four years to different schools and different states or even countries sometimes because we we went abroad too, um, you know, I struggled. And so I started to kind of get into makeup to make myself feel pretty and um, hair as well and, ex- you know, experimenting and exploring with different stuff. And once I started to like grow a passion for it and found that I was really good at it and made me feel really good. Um, I started doing like my make makeup on my friends. And then I started becoming this, you know, the, the person who did everybody's makeup for prom and homecoming and all that fun stuff. So it just really kind of grew into this passion that originally stemmed from a confidence issue. And I was just trying to find myself. And you also worked in the corporate beauty world for many years. How did you get started in that? It's it's interesting. So I actually started off in finance. And the reason why, because um, I mentioned my parents were military parents, they didn't go to college and no one in my family at this point in time had graduated from college. And so my parents were, you know, really adamant. They wanted me to go to college. And I, you know, expressed I wanted this makeup. I wanted to do makeup. That was what I wanted to do for my for my life. And, you know, my parents were really firm on, you know, we don't want you to be a starving artist. We really want you to get something that was more definite. And, you know, this was, you know, many years ago. So it, it didn't, I don't feel like that artistry job and the, the way that influencers and all of that have really romanticized makeup artistry today, it just didn't exist then. So there was just this education, lack of education from my family on really um, seeing the vision of being able to do makeup as a way to, you know, have a livelihood. And so, um, you know, they really did, um, you know, impress upon me to go to college. And I did. I went I went to college and I ended up doing business and finance. And, and I don't, you know, for the life of me, the only reason why I think I did finance is because I had my senior year, uh, an accounting elective that was the only elective left and I had to graduate. <laughs> and so I took it and I actually really liked my accounting teacher and she was really sweet and she made it fun. And so I was like, okay, you know, when you're young, you're 17, you don't know what to select as a major. So you just do it. And and that's what I did. And you just keep going with the process because you're like, I, I got to get a job. This is what they're telling me to do. And, you know, it was the best thing probably that ever happened to me because in college, I learned the foundation of 
operating a business on the finance side of things. And so I think having that entrepreneurial spirit and that creative spirit, I knew knew that if I ever wanted to do anything on my own, it would be, um, you know, simply for, you know, having that that foundation of, of finance. So so essentially, um, yeah, I started my you know, first few jobs in finance. And I landed an awesome job at an, a company that was a, like a branding company. And they basically managed um, beauty brands. And I did not know at the time of applying for a, a staff accountant position. Um, and yeah, when I joined the organization, literally the first day HR is walking me around and I'm like seeing all this makeup everywhere and skincare. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys do what? And it was just like fate and destiny, honestly. And like every day for a year, I kept asking, is there any jobs in the marketing side? Is there any jobs? Um, until one opportunity came up and and then, yeah, um, I, I actually took a demotion from a staff account position to be uh, a marketing coordinator and just kind of elevated from there. And then before founding LYS, you were at... Pure Cosmetics, where you spearheaded the brand's launch of 100 Foundation Shades. Did you want to talk about how you decided on that number and what the development process was like for such a big project? Oh my goodness. It, that was a huge undertaking. Um, it took several years. Um, and, you know, honestly, for me, um, that was my passion project. It was my baby. It was ultimately what um pushed me to take the leap to start my own brand ultimately. Um, I, I, you know, when I was working for them, my biggest focus was to expand the diversity within the brand. That was a big thing for me because I really saw a a huge um, white space in the clean beauty um, side of the business. It just, there was just a blatant lack of diversity and so having that ability, that autonomy and seat at the table, I made it my mission for that brand to really, um, you know, do everything I could, not just in foundation ranges, but in the skincare and in the um, complexion and, and color eyeshadows, everything to make sure that everything was diverse as possible. And that's where, you know, that passion set in to really um, go deeper and, and really, you know, bringing change to the to the clean space. And so that project, you know, took several years and, you know, I came up with it because I just, I really felt like, you know, I'd seen a really bad launch in the industry at the time. And it just frustrated me. I just said, you know, we just have to show people the correct way to launch a foundation. And we need to show that everybody deserves a shade and we i wanted to do something very specific to undertones because i kept seeing in the you know woman of color the deeper skin tone ranges i kept seeing either everything was all red or everything was all gray or everything was all yellow like it was just bad you know and i just thought you know we need to educate better on undertones because people of color have undertones too you know so some people have red undertones some people have golden undertones and neutral undertones and they weren't being served accordingly it was just like here are five or 10 shades and they're all the same undertone and that's just not how um you know our skin is and so there's there's just a blatant lack of representation and so the reason why we had to do 100 shades is because we ac- collectively across five different categories, light, medium, tan, dark, and deep, 
incorporated undertones for each category. So your light range had pinks, they had goldens, and they had neutrals, and all the way to your deeps. And so everybody had representation. And that's essentially where we landed with the 100 shades, just because the only way to do that and do it well and give everyone a shade, um, it, it pretty much ended up landing um, landing that way. Yeah. Thinking back on that time period, you think about how Fenty Beauty set this standard with 40 shades. Do you think a lot of brands felt like they had to rush to catch up to that? And did they put enough effort into it? Or what do you think of that time period? You know, I always think back about that because when they launched the 40 shades, there were several brands that already had that amount of shades out. You know, you had Makeup Forever, you had Lancome, you had um, uh, MAC Cosmetics. I mean, there were a lot of brands that had a large shade range. So um, I think what Fenty did well, it, 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 they weren't the first, but what they did well is they did a great job marketing it in an extremely credible way. You had somebody like Rihanna who has massive fanfare and uh, appeal um, across so many generations and ethnicities that really collectively allowed them to tell a, mer- a message of inclusivity. And I think what the other brands may have not done as well is is market accordingly. You know, they just maybe had something, but they didn't really share that they were inclusive. It just wasn't a part of their DNA. And she made it the initial, you know, marketing. Um, it was a part of her message. And I think that she did a fantastic job doing that. And what that did was it opened the eyes of all of those other brands that already had offerings to either improve them, because I do think she did a great job. Um, if they had the shades and they just weren't the right shades in the right way, or they weren't talking about it and it gave them an opportunity to say, hey, you know, we also offer this as well. So, um, yeah, I think Fenty has been a phenomenal, um, you know, um, especially for with Rihanna being a woman of color, especially for a black owned brand to come in. There's just this innate instant credibility, right? You're a black woman coming in, launching all these shades that now represent black women. There's just an initial instant credibility that all black women are going to give her out of the gate um, that they may not necessarily have known a brand like Clinique may have already had a shade, you know, they just don't know because they weren't initially marketed to or being represented in those in that strategy if that makes sense. Yeah, and when did you first start thinking of launching your own brand? Did you have a specific light bulb moment? You know, it was probably around the 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 timing of developing the the 100 shades during that process. You know, I really felt like I can do this. Like I I knew I al- always was kind of destined to do more. I didn't know what that really was, you know, I, you know, have, having had spent so much time in corporate, I, I didn't know if it's, do I go and be a CEO of other, another brand? Do I, you know, what is the strategy? Do, do I shift over to development? Cause I really started to fall in love with the development process. Do I shift over and go work for a contract manufacturer and, and do be head of a development strategy and, and help tons of brands create new products? Or, you know, or do I start my own brand? And I think during the process of the 100 Shades, it just was so personal to me from creating the formula, going to Korea to actually work on all the shades and in the production in the labs to all marketing to literally doing a two-day photo shoot with over 100 models to create all the campaign assets. Like, 
like I lived and breathed that so much and the execution, my team, you know, it was just impeccable. And I just, I really just had to like toot my own horn and be like, you did that, you know? And I think during that process from, from concept to, um, you know, to execution, I, I just felt the confidence that, you know, I, I got this. And so that product launched in 2019 and in, in April, but ironically, um, in March previous to that, I lost my father uh, unexpectedly. And in that process, I, I just, I, I, I knew it was like a light bulb that was just like, you, you, life is too short. You only live one life and you need to do what you love. And my dad had embraced and loved so much about my job. I mean, we talked all the time about my career and all the things and all my travels because I traveled all the time. And it's like, where are you going now? And all this fun stuff. And so I think it was just, for me, it was this kind of way for me to live this legacy of, of him and keep it going. And so um, so now not only did I have the confidence and I knew that I could do it, but now I had this fire burning in me because now I lost something so dear to me. And then now I had the financial resources because I was able to take some of my inheritance and use it towards, you know, funding. And so it was just all the boxes were checked and there was just, uh, for me, no reason not to do it. Um, other than complacency, which that is has zero, I have no, a zero bone of complacency in my body. And so for me, it was like the grit and the grind, I'm going to go and do it. And so, yeah, you, I, I quit a job that was um, just a very awesome job, um, very comfortable, stable. And to to do again what I did early on in my career, take a step back and be a, a, a starving founder now instead of a starving artist. But no, but but really... Um, an opportunity to now believe in myself yet again. And and sometimes you have to take a step back to go forward. And it's been the best decision I've ever made in my entire career. And you launched in 2019. And then obviously in 2020, the pandemic hit. What was it like running a new brand during the pandemic? So actually, I did not launch until 2021, actually. Um, 2020 was my development year. So that's where I actually, um, after I stepped away, that's where I took that year and actually, um, you know, just did everything to start the brand. So that was, um, and every, a lot of people thought I was crazy because during the pandemic, you're you're, you're quitting your job and you're starting a, a, a new a new brand, a makeup brand at that when, when we all wear masks. But, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, an interesting time. And for me, I felt like it was still just another motivating factor to just continue to push through. And, and again, the pandemic, I think showed a lot of people that, um, you know, all of the things that are so important to you, right? And the things that are near and dear to you, you should really leverage those things and, and make them a big part of your life. And and the whole rat race that, you know, so many of us were kind of stuck in, um, you know, makes you makes you makes you step back and say, okay, what what's important to me and what are the things I want to do? And I think so many people really were able to iron those things out in that year um and really um you know, have some self-reflection. So that was a great uh, year for me in that regard. Obviously, it was a crazy time from a civil perspective from for the country. And, you know, I think timing worked really 
well because, you know, being a Black-owned brand launching right still in the heart of the pandemic, early 2021, um, I just think that there was a huge appetite for Black-owned businesses. And I think that the conversation of uh, diversity and inclusion and equity amongst all was just so strong at that time. And I think that um, we, you know, we really sparked um, some excitement and interest from a lot of consumers and and um, also Sephora as well, which is um, where we are exclusively um, simply because I think we we came at such a great time. Yeah. And then in terms of choosing which products to launch first, how did you think about which products to go into first? Were you always thinking about foundation from your experience with uh, Pure Cosmetics or what were what was your thought process on that? Totally. I mean, I would say complexion is my strength in terms of development. And, um, and I know it's one of those important, um, you know, kind of base or foundation, like, you know, foundation or foundational elements to a makeup look is your base. And so I just knew um, that would be definitely my first skew that I would focus on because um, it's just what I'm strong at, the strongest at. I definitely went back and forth because financially it is the most challenging product to carry as a beauty brand. Um, It's very expensive. It's hard to do. Um, And so a lot of brands don't usually start with a foundation. Typically not many indies do. Um, and, and, you know, I wanted to take that challenge on just because I had done almost 20 complexion products in my career. And so it's just what I was good at. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really glad I, I did do that because, you know, out of probably over probably 200, close to 200 products I've developed in my entire career, I've never won an Allure Best of Beauty, and my first product um, with the brand, we we won an Allure Best of Beauty. So um, definitely a good decision there. And what do you think of the concept of hero products? Do you consider any product to be your hero product? The foundation is definitely our number one seller. It's our hero um, It's We've gotten the most press between the um, foundation and the uh, cream blush. Uh, those are our two most uh, popular products, as well as our top two sellers for the brand. Um, so I always tell people if they ask, you know, what what should I start with? I would definitely recommend the foundation or the blush. Um, I think it's tough for people to try to start for the first time. You've never heard of a brand with a foundation because when you're a digital brand, um, people don't really know how to find their shade online. So we've done a lot of things to really help ensure that people can be able to start with the brand with the foundation and have that confidence that they'll find their right shade with shade um, finders on our website and different guides and tools. And then we recently just launched a sampling campaign where we give two free samples um, to uh, the customer. They just pay for the shipping and it gives them an opportunity to try the product for a week to see if they like it and if it's the right shade match and then they can go back and buy the the full size. What are your thoughts on online versus in-store for shade matching? You know, it's tough. It is tough, um, but I think we're getting better. I think what's awesome um, is consumers are getting more excited and interested in discovery online compared to going in store. And I think the pandemic really helped push that along in a material way um, because I think 
you have that confidence of knowing, you know, brands that specialize in those areas can offer the tools that can at least get you in the ballpark of the right shade. So I I think that it's definitely growing um, on people so much easier to attempt and try. Do I think going in store is, you know, still, you know, the best option? Sure, because you physically can touch it. It's right there. But I mean, I've had so many times where I've bought something on in store because the lighting is different or, you know, they have, you know, different lights in store or the area of the store I was in. It looked good. And then I get home or I go in natural light and it's still it's not a right match. So going in store isn't a perfect solution either. Um, so I think that it's just a matter of being able to use the tools, communicate with the brand um, in the most effective way. I mean, we have customers send us pictures. Um, they DM us, you know, we're very hands-on with helping guide our consumer to find their right shade. And um, yeah, I think that it's definitely something that I hope technology will continue to advance more toward in the future as well. But I, I think that, um, I think we're we're on the right track in terms of being able to support um, D2C brands like us that only have online, you know, selling for the foundation. And when you launched in Sephora in September 2021, you were categorized as clean at Sephora. So when you were working on the formulations, did you have Sephora's clean standard in mind or how did you define clean? Absolutely. I think that there are several leaders in terms of retailers that have established some sort of a baseline for clean. You know, Credo's done a really good job. Sephora's done an amazing job. And I think Ulta's recently come in with their Conscious Beauty program. And I think for us, we wanted to definitely meet those standards at a minimum. But there were so many other things for me that were extreme um, no's that I did not want to incorporate in my formulations, like silicones, like fragrance, like pegs. Like I wanted to be a bit more on the cleaner side from those you know, areas, just because I personally have problematic skin. My skin is easily irritated with ingredients like silicone and chemical sunscreens and all of those sort of things. And so I just made a, drew a line in the sand of things that we would never launch our products with. And that's kind of been our own established standard, but we absolutely um, made sure that the standards and compliance from a retailer perspective, it was almost like table stakes. Like that is the bare minimum of what we would ever do in terms of, of formulation. And then obviously go from there. We'll be right back after this message. Is it still challenging to make these clean formulations and have an accessible price point these days? Or is it becoming easier to make clean beauty more accessible? I think so. I think having been in this space for over a decade, um, actually probably going on 16, 18 years, it's always been accessible. It, there's always been a way to make it in an affordable way. Um, there's been tons of advancement over the years, but there there's always been ingredients. And that's that was something that I really appreciated and loved when I did work at Pure Cosmetics because, again, that brand launched back in, I don't know, 2002 or something like that, 2000 something. And they've always had clean standards. So, um, and they've, they're pretty affordable price point brand um, already as it is. So I think definitely, um, and the technology continues to get better. And I think that there's 
um, so many amazing um, ways to be able to do it in an accessible way. And for me, that was a big, big um, requirement in the brand is, you know, my mission was to diversify clean and I didn't want to just do it from a shade range perspective. I really wanted to make it more accessible. I mean, the average um, foundation and clean was between 35 and $40. And I was like, why, you know, why does it have to be so expensive? Um, and so, yeah, I, I wanted to kind of break down those barriers and, and really say that, you know, you don't have to compromise. You can have clean. It doesn't have to break your wallet and you can find it in the shades that work for you that have great ingredients in it. And so, um, it's not, I, I wouldn't say anything that we do is super easy, but it's definitely, definitely achievable for sure. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because on one hand, clean beauty retailers and brands seem to be ahead of the curve when it comes to things like ingredients and sustainability. But when it came to inclusivity with products, they seem to trail behind the Fenty beauties of the world. And that was the case, not just with shade ranges, but with other areas like sunscreen. Do you have any thoughts on where clean beauty was at a few years ago and where they are now with regard to inclusivity? Totally. So, you know, I've had this conversation a little bit before. And, you know, one of the deep thoughts that I kind of, you know, think is a, a huge root to this challenge is, you know, when you create a, a clean has been powered by the indie brands, you know, a lot of the big brands that are out there, they really didn't play in the whole clean conversation at all into, until a lot of the indie brands came in and they started to tra trailblaze the path in this category and, and everything's clean and everyone's clean now. But in terms of the, the, the assortment and why the diversity wasn't there is because the indie brands were generally started off of a need from a founder. And typically when you create a product as a founder, it's usually something that's near and dear to you that solves a problem that you had that you're now sharing with your community that you're creating. And very few, if any, founders were at the early stages, women of color or people of color in general, very few, you know? And so when you are not really having that problem of finding a shade that matches for you, it's not a priority to your development. It's not that you're not being inclusive. It's just, it's simply not on your radar. And so I think the way to change that and the way that change has implemented um, is two things. You're having brands like Affinity, who now has a Black-owned um, base business that came out speaking to um, diversity, or you have more founders that are coming into the space like LYS that are Black-owned that is speaking to diversity and creating products for underrepresented communities. Now you're going to see more brands come in and the confidence of more founders of people of color that have vision and idea to, to create that as well. But then you're going to have those same brands that maybe it wasn't there on their initial radar come in and then also start to add those shades. And some of them are doing it well and some of them are not. The ones that are doing it well, in my opinion, are the ones that have diversified their corporate side of the business as well. You know, it starts at the top and bringing in people of color in your leadership will help because it's not just about the shades on the shelf. It's also about how they, if 
how they work? Do they execute well on skin, people of color skin? Are you testing on people of color? Are you marketing effectively to people of color? And I think sometimes having that experience and authenticity of having a, a woman of color on your team or a person of color, just not just a woman, I should say, um, you know, of all backgrounds helps you to be able to have that conversation in the most authentic way. And so for me, I, I genuinely think it's a part of why it was where it was. It just, it wasn't that it was intentionally left out. I just don't think it was on people's radar because it wasn't a true concern of theirs. And now that it's been highlighted, now that we, you know, see how much the problem is, I welcome those brands that are not black owned to incorporate more shades and more diversity in their brand. But I think they should, to be the most authentic, they should be either having that, you know, their team represent that community and also utilizing those, you know, right testing tactics and shade matching and all of those elements that you do in the development process on women of color. Um, and so it's hard, it, you know, from a day-to-day perspective, when you talk about running a business, especially in beauty, and we're getting prototypes and concepts and we're testing things daily in our offices and with family members and all that. And if your direct community around you does not look like that melting pot of people that need to try your products, it it makes it difficult to do it and do it well. Um, and I think as that evolves and as that changes, that's when now you're starting to see um, the evolution in the space. And I, I think it's it's a beautiful thing, honestly. The revolution we're seeing in beauty is absolutely beautiful. And what do you think the role of investment has been in this? Do you think investors are seeing the value of more diverse brands now? Absolutely, absolutely. And I don't know why now, other than that, again, it's been elevated more um, because I I do think that the spend has always been there. I think that you've always seen women of color, you know, buying a lot of beauty, um, the Hispanic community buying beauty. I don't know why the level of um, excitement to invest now over in the past, but I think it's great that we're moving forward. I think it's great that, um, you know, people of color are being given that opportunity to build equity and build wealth and and really be able to have a seat at the table within the overall beauty community. And with your new partnership with Sephora and as you scale the business, what is your approach to fundraising? So for me right now, we're, we are um, staying firm, kind of bootstrapping things along. Um, and I don't intend to raise for a little while. We're being smart. I would say my, um, my savvy finance ability, um, that I have has allowed us to operate, um, you know, in a, in a very uh, bootstrap way successfully. So, um, great relationships with our suppliers that allow us to really be able to, um, to focus on the, on the business in a, in a, you know, positive way from a financial perspective. So um, I'm going to wait it out just a little bit. I don't know how much longer, but um, we'll wait and see. But right now we're we're very healthy and our first year has been very successful. How much has the Sephora launch affected the brand's size and growth? 
I would say they have been a, a huge part of building credibility for us. Um, they've given us um, a lot of eyeballs in a, in a really material way early on, which has been absolutely great. Um, and we're just so excited to be able to be a part of their portfolio, their amazing retailer that really focuses on diversity and inclusion as well as clean. So it's like a match made in heaven for us, honestly. And yeah, I'm really excited to be flourishing and growing with them. We um, are expanding into more stores and expanding our assortment. So uh, lots to come from um, LYS and Sephora in the future. Do you have a breakdown of wholesale versus D2C right now? I would say right now we are about 60-40. Yeah. Yeah, we we are doing um we are doing we are doing very well on our site. You know what's interesting that I found um what I have found is communicating with your audience and going to them directly has been a strong powerhouse for us and offering items that we don't sell at Sephora have have been really strong for us. So we have a, a nice assortment of products that you can't find at Sephora um, that also help us build our community as well. Um, that number is, you know, now that we're in store is definitely changing significantly. So, you know, in a healthy way, you know, I would say that, you know, 70-30 or 80-20 is probably where we'd like to settle in now that we're going to be in stores. And so we have much more visibility and, and way more placement um, within Sephora versus just being online only. Okay. So 60-40 would be 60 wholesale? Yes. Okay. Got it. Speaking of your audience, how would you define your target customer? Um, our Our target customer... So I would say she is, or she or he, it's it's a toss-up from an age perspective because we do skew, we, we focus on the millennial. Um, we do have a large um, Gen X community as well as a Gen Z. So we kind of have that overlap. But I would say the heartbeat would be the millennial. Um, I'm personally a millennial and I know that um, I kind of function and operate from a marketing perspective a lot toward the millennial consumer. And so I think that's been a little bit of why, um, you know, we do a lot on social media and we don't do so much traditional outside of PR as of yet, but we're starting to do more traditional other forms of, of marketing like email and, um, you know, we're shifting a little bit more to SMS, but we haven't really it hasn't really been our heartbeat. Like social media has been a strong piece of our success. Um, and so that's where I think that millennial consumer really um, has gravitated um, to the brand. So, but yeah, someone who's really wants to be seen kind of um, all about loving themselves, um, you know, confidence um, is really important to this person and, and really, um, you know, having that self-esteem to, to kind of live in your own light um, is, is a big piece of the consumer that we, that we have follow our brand. What are your top online platforms right now? I would say definitely Instagram, TikTok. Um, you know, we do, we, you know, we have over almost 300 videos on YouTube for the brand. So a lot of YouTubers are really, um, you know, loving the brand as well. So 
definitely those are kind of the key heartbeat ones. Facebook, of course, we do digital advertising on Facebook. Um, so yeah, those are kind of, that's kind of where we are today. That's pretty much the most of where everybody is, honestly. So TikTok's important for the millennial audience as well as the Gen Z. I think, I think Gen Z for sure is like, take, you know, has taken it over, but I, I think you know, millennials have come in like we always do. And we're like, hey, just want to let you know we're here. And so now it's like, I look and I mean, I see so many videos that are like, you know, cooking and DIY and just all this dance videos. And I mean, now you're seeing a lot of Gen X come in. I mean, I think TikTok has turned into a family platform, to be honest with you. I think everyone generationally or in the home is is you know, fixated on TikTok. It's this phenomenon. We're all addicted now. Totally. And how do you choose the influencers you work with? So, you know, we we mix it up. I have, you know, a long history in the industry. So I know a lot of influencers. And so a lot of it is relationship. Um, but also we really focus on the uh, micro influencer as well. Um, so we like to see all of the influencers up and coming. Um, my team hosts PR searches on our, on our social. And so we look to find the hot up and coming influencers that want to join our PR list. And we, you know, make selections and, and find them that way. We scrub YouTube. Every people who are tagging us, um, we're very hands-on in terms of finding um, those influencers that have passion for us and the brand, and we we love that. And uh, and if they reach out to us, that hands down is amazing, and we like to respond to everybody who who is interested in working with us. What kind of influencer content gets the most traction these days in terms of type of content or size of influencer or platform? I would say um, reels work really well. Um, and so from an influencer content, I think um, that is what we see performing right now the, the, the best. Any sort of tutorial or application video um, is working really well. And then trendy, trendy, you know, sounds where you have, you know, um, you know, demoing or displaying the product works really well for us as well. Do you feel like Reels is taking on kind of a separate identity compared to TikTok? I think that Reels is, it, to me, I find it to be very similar. I think it's two reasons. One, I think a lot of people just share their same content from TikTok over to Reels and vice versa. So I, there's a lot of duplicative content, in my opinion, happening on TikTok and Reels. I I do think that um, I find Reels to be... Um, a little bit more, um, what's the word, like curated, I guess. They just don't seem as raw as a video on TikTok. Um, they're just prettier. They're a little bit more finessed and put together. And so um, I, I think that for people who like aesthetically pleasing things or looking for things in an aesthetically pleasing way, but enjoyed that uh, breaking up the monotony of looking at a traditional feed on Instagram, I think they appreciate reels. But I think if you just want com comedic relief, you just want to be entertained, you want a little chuckle, you know, you're trying to see what's going on, you know, you're over at TikTok. Um, it's just a different vibe. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. And then in terms of aesthetics, how did you approach the aesthetics of your brand with your audience in mind? 
You know, I had like a an internal kind of joke about me for all the suppliers. They always knew me as I have a filet mignon, um, you know, like love and passion and want for everything, but I have a, a cheeseburger budget and that's just what I'm known for. I like girly things. I like all things pretty. Um, I, I just love shiny things. Um, and so when I... When I, you know, started to concept the brand, I knew that I wanted meaning. I wanted there to be something that was special to me, but I wanted it to be aesthetically beautiful that when you look at it and you have it in your vanity or you have it amongst your products, it felt like a million bucks, even though like it could sit amongst the YSLs and the Chanel's of the world and still, you know, the Charlotte Tilbury's and still be like, oh, but be like, be that, still be that girl, but be but be the affordable, attainable one. And I, I just obsess. I just, I just love really beautiful packaging. And, you know, the triangle was near and dear to me because um, the Delta symbol is a triangle. It means change. And I just, you know, have just been just so empowered by just change around me, all the change that is happening in the world, all the change that um, is happening within myself, all the change happening in my career. Um, and so, yeah, I just I just wanted something that was super impactful, for, impactful to that. And so, yeah, that's why I came up with the packaging and everything. So looking ahead to this year for 2022, what are you thinking for product launches? What categories are you looking at? Um, more complexion to come for sure. Um, definitely. Um, we launched our first skincare SKU this year. It was really successful. So you might see more of that coming as well. Um, but yeah, we, we will lots, lots of more color items coming, just everything. You know, I, my intention is for this to be a full, robust, um, beauty line, beauty and skincare line. And so, um, my intention at some point is to have representation in m- most every category where possible. And you have skincare ingredients in the makeup products as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that, you know, since we're focusing on, you know, clean ingredients and good for you, you know, we don't use like fillers and all of that stuff. I still wanted recognizable ingredients that do well for your skin. So when you talk about like our our foundation, for example, and you have like ashwagandha because I have sensitive acne prone skin, I wanted something that, you know, relieves skin stress and that sort of thing. And you talk about like hyperpigmentation, which is a huge problem in women of color. Um, I wanted to add ingredients like turmeric, which I know is really great for brightening dark spots. So for me, there was intention behind the ingredients that we selected. Also, they um, just like the brand, just just a lot of meaning and purpose behind, um, you know, the intention of why we we chose certain ingredients. And and yeah, I wanted it to be, um, you know, this, you know, this line that not only, you know, are you using makeup sometimes to build your confidence, but I didn't want the very products that you were using to kind of help elevate your confidence to hinder your confidence in a way that would irritate your skin or create further disruption in your skin. I mean, that was, it's kind of counterproductive, right? So, um, so yeah, it was just really important for me to use um, ingredients that I knew consumers would appreciate. And in addition to product line expansion, what are your next steps for overall business expansion in 2022? I got big dreams, girl. Big dreams. No, <laughs> I would say, you know, I want 
I, I really want to be a globally recognizable brand. You know, I want to be global. We're, we're doing that. We're making moves. Some things I can't share just yet, but we did just recently launch with Cult Beauty in the UK so that I can share. Um, but, but more exciting partnerships to come, but I, I want a global brand. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the mission. Amazing. So just a final question for today. This is more of a big picture life question. You're someone who followed your passion and went from finance to a creative role to founding your own brand. So for listeners out there who might feel stuck in their career or might feel uninspired, what would your advice to them be? I would definitely say, you know, figure out what you want to do, really have a plan and a strategy in place. Um, if if what you're doing currently has anything from that can funnel into what you want to go and start from your own career, for example, with me being in the corporate side of beauty and then wanting to start my own brand, be a sponge, absorb everything that you possibly can absorb. Use it as like a boot camp to really be able to go and start your own business. And if it's not in the same vertical of what you're going to start, find those similarities within the organization that you're in that you can, again, be a sponge and learn more. Find a a mentor within your organization or a mentor within the vertical you're trying to get into and learn as much as you can from them. There's so many tools and resources out there that I would highly recommend you go into it as educated as you possibly can be. Being a like, even though I felt like I had over almost two decades of, of learning in this, it is the hardest thing ever. There's so many things that you run against that you don't know. I always had a boss, right? I'd always had somebody else who managed some of the things that I'd never touched because it's their company. And now that it's my company, I'm seeing every nuance from legal, financially, um, distribution ins and outs, things that maybe I never, you know, would have seen, you know, contracts, you know, there's just so much um, that goes into it. And that's can be within many verticals. And so, Take that opportunity to kind of be that sponge and, you know, understand what you're getting yourself into so you can go into it um, in the most impactful way. Um, and just remember, this is a big piece of advice. You can do it all, but you can't do it all at once. And being an entrepreneur is there's a, a huge struggle with work-life balance. A lot of people want to be an entrepreneur because they want time. They want flexibility. But when you're the boss and you're running the company, you actually in the beginning probably have less time and less flexibility. And so sometimes just, you know, remember the crawl, walk, run process of everything in life. Um, You know, just, you know, small steps make, you know, big leaps eventually. Don't don't feel like you have to take on the world um, right at the the onset of starting a company. Um, And yeah, that's, that's my advice. And and just go for it. Because honestly, like I said, from the start, you only have one life to live. And, and I, I really, truly think, you know, you can always go back to your, you can always go back to what you were doing if it doesn't work out. Tisha, thank you so much for being here today. And we look forward to seeing everything in store for LYS Beauty in the coming year. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. 
please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week. Bye.